You know, many businesses, especially businesses that rely on customer service, want to make sure that their businesses are providing good customer service. Say, for example, a retail outlet or a restaurant or uh, businesses that are in the hospitality business, such as hotels or amusement parks, uh, because their services generally come at a premium of a cost, they uh, make their money by the fact they provide great customer service to their customers. And so these kinds of businesses, hotels and restaurants especially, are constantly wanting to make sure that their customers are having a real good experience. And so one of the things that these businesses will do in order to find out if their customers are having a good experience is they will send in what's called a secret shopper. So a secret shopper will go into a restaurant or into a hotel or to an amusement park or a store and they will act and be a, a regular customer. You wouldn't know them. Uh, they don't wear a, a coat that says secret shopper. That would sort of ruin the whole thing. And so they experience the business like any shopper would with a mind towards providing information to the business owner about their experience. They might uh, comment on whether or not the item they wanted was available. They may comment on whether or not the people who helped them in the business were friendly. Uh, they might comment on how long it took. Was it efficient getting through? They may uh, indicate whether or not they enjoyed themselves. If you go to a restaurant, well, the food was good, but it was boring and dull. It would just wasn't enjoyable. And, and so they will, these secret shoppers will go in and they'll provide information to the business owners so they can know, okay, we, what are we doing here? We want to make sure we're doing the right things to ensure that our customers are having the kind of experience that we want them to have. Why do they want that? Because that's how they make money. Psalm 50 is if I can say it without being sacrilegious, a little bit of a secret shopper kind of psalm. Let me put it this way. It's a question I think that's a fair question to ask, although it may be uncomfortable to think of. What if God came to church today? Ever thought about it? What if God came? Now, I know theologically. Listen, I read the Bible once or twice. I know where, we, where his people are gathered. God indwells all believers. The Holy Spirit is here. God is here in a very significant and real way. Praise God. Amen. Right? Uh, but I'm talking, uh, you know, for the sake of discussion, what if God showed up? He, you walked in the doors. You walked in the back. He walks in the door. And um, before church, I don't know if you guys know, church starts at 1030, not 1045. But um, I'm giving you, I'm giving, that's terrible. That's rude. That's just rude. Um, he walks in and he walks in. And he went out and you see, oh, there's somebody new. I've never seen him before. That's, anyway, so you, uh, hey, sir, I'm, my name is Bill. No offense to you, Bill. Um, who are you? He goes, Oh, I'm God. I thought I would check out church today. <laughs> I hope you have a good experience, seeing as how we're here for you, right? What if God came to church today? What would he have to say? What would he have to think? What would he have to comment on? Say God was a secret shopper in church today. What kind of things would he be looking at? And what's interesting is Psalm 50 provides us precisely those things. Psalm 50, verse 1, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. So the psalm starts out in very poetic fashion and said, God is summoning everyone from, from where the sun rises to where it sets. Where is that? That's the whole planet. God is coming, and he is going to come and make himself known, and he is going to come and give feedback, as it were, 
He says, from Zion, that is Israel, the temple, God shines forth. God is going to come forth, and it says he's going to judge. He's going to assess. He's going to look and examine. And I want us to look at three different ways that we can think about God. What if God came to church today? These first four verses, I want us to... I'm going to frame it this way, just for a way of organizing it in our minds. What if God came to church today? Here's what we need to know. One thing we must know. He has an opinion. If God came to church today, he would have an opinion. He is not indifferent. Look with me at verse 3 of Psalm 50. Our God comes, and what does it say? He will not be silent. He, he, in fact, uh, in looking at his people, in, in l- being a part of what is going on in our lives of worship to him, it says God will not be as silent. He has an opinion. He's not indifferent to the worship of his people. God here, it says, is calling the earth to account, and it's demonstrated in a couple of different images here in verse 3. Our God comes, and he will not be silent. First image, it says, a fire devours before him. So God's strolling in is preceded by his fire, the, the fire going, excuse me, going out before him. And this is a, a way that the poetic a psalmist is saying his righteous uh, fire is purifying in front of him. The way you would purify gold or silver in the furnace, the way you would purify anything with heat or flame. He says, my purifying fire goes out before me. And secondly, all around him, a tempest rages. Hurricane, tornadoes, a a tempest is raging. God says, I'm going to come to the earth and I'm going to call to account the earth. And I'm going to call and and my fire goes before me because I am a pure and righteous God making Uh, things before me burn away that are unrighteous and retaining only that which is pure and and he is so powerful and mighty a tempest rages around him that is an entrance when you walk in it's not just cool music it's tornadoes and hurricanes I think people would stop and take notice wouldn't it wouldn't they and God says I'm going to call the earth into account and here in Psalm 50 just to give you a little uh insight into the structure, he, he calls two groups of people into account. In, in verses 5 through 15, he calls religious people to account. And then in verse 16 to the end of the psalm, he calls wicked and rebellious people to account. Now this morning, we're only going to talk about religious people. We're going to leave the wicked alone. Many of you, oh, whew, you're going to leave me alone, right? Here's what's interesting is the way he talks about both the religious and the wicked is what? exactly the same and that's that's really really interesting to me and I hope it is to you so God comes in he's going to call the religious and the wicked or the irreligious to account and he comes in as, uh, with his purifying fire and his tempest and basically what he is saying is this is in regard to your worship I have an opinion And I think my opinion matters a whole lot. If God walks in the room with fire and the whirlwind, would you agree that his opinion really, really matters? 
And that's what the psalmist is trying to communicate to us is God has an opinion. He is not indifferent to our worship. And in fact, he plans on communicating precisely what he thinks of our worship. And he is making quite clear, my opinion matters. You best pay attention. What if God came to church today? Or what if God came to your home group tonight? What if God came to your small group Bible study, your men's Bible study, or your women's Bible study? What if God came to your accountability group? What if God came to your devotional quiet time? He is not indifferent to those things. He has an opinion. And the psalmist here with this imagery is trying to communicate to us, my, his opinion really, really matters. We should stop and pause. The, the word that is often in your Bible is selah, slow down. Okay, whoa, whoa, slow down. I need to think about this. God has an opinion on all of my worship in my life for him. And, and, and maybe his opinion in regard to what that worship is like is more important than my opinion. What if God came to church today? He has an opinion. He is not indifferent. Look with me at verse 5, moving along. God says this, Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So now God says, I want to talk specifically to a group of people. I want to talk uh, to a group of people who are my people. In fact, is the people of Israel and a, sort of a, a smaller section of the people of Israel says, I want to talk to those people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. I want to talk to the people here who are doing the job of obeying the law. You're taking your offering to the temple. You're taking your offering of bulls and rams and bread and wine and money and time. And I want to talk to my consecrated people, those people who have said, uh, I know what God is up to, and I want to worship him according to the covenant we have been given. You remember the Mosaic Law. There's all kinds of rules. Well, if you get mildew in your bathroom, you have to leave the house for a week. Come back, and the priest will come in and tell you if it's clean. And then if it's not clean, you try it again. And, and there's a ceremony with a bird in a pot, and you splash the blood. It's very strange. You have to look it up. One bird lives, one bird dies. It's... Anyway, thankfully, we don't have the bird in the pot rule. And then what happens if you can't get the mildew out? No big deal. Just tear the house down and rebuild it and hope that one doesn't get mildew. So these people, the ones obeying the law and following the rules and saying, I know what the rules are. I'm going to follow them. Look with me at verse 9 of Psalm 50. I have no need of a bull. From your stall. What if God came to church today? God has a standard. And he's not impressed. God has a standard of what that worship should look like. He's not impressed. This, this here is a description, if I can say it in a facetious terms. This is the perfect church. He says, look, look with me at verse 8. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices. 
You offer the lamb at the appropriate time. You offer the bull at the appropriate time. You offer the appropriate kind of animal at the appropriate time with the appropriate priest and the appropriate offering. I bring no charges concerning your sacrifices. I bring you no charges concerning your burnt offerings. They are mindful of their sin, and they want God to forgive them through the the act of their making their offering. And in fact, he says, your offerings are ever before me. These are very, very, very religious people. Their, their, Their offerings are ongoing and, and unending. They want to follow the, the duty of the law. In fact, you would say their offerings are dutifully before the Lord always. Their I's are always dotted. Their T's are always crossed. If we would have seen them, oh, there goes Joseph. He is a good law-abiding This is the perfect church, but we discover in uh, verse 9, this perfect church has a serious problem. He has no need of their offerings. And here's the issue that God has with these religious people. He says, listen, you are dutifully following the rules and your formalism, your your rote, formal uh, following of the law is nauseating. You're able to to do all of the rules, but you're missing something here. You're able to uh, cross all your I's and dot all your T's or the other way around. And they've, they've missed something here, something critically important. God says this, I don't know if you know this about me, and it seems kind of silly that he says it, but obviously this spoke to what was going on in their hearts and minds. He goes, I, I don't get hungry. I didn't ask you for all of these offerings because my cupboard was empty. I was hangry in heaven. Boy, I hope they offer a sacrifice soon because I'm really hankering for a good burger. God says, I don't get hungry. I have no need of a bull from your stalls. I'm not hungry. He said, I'm not poor. God is telling them, I don't need you to give all your money to the temple because I'm broke. The ATM in heaven is out of, out of whack. Well, I hope they give some money because I don't know how I'm going to make rent. I mean, this is how the people were thinking. Well, God must be broke if I don't chip in. He said, I'm not hungry. I'm not poor. I'm not uninformed. I don't need you to get up and read from the Torah for hours and hours because I forgot what it said. God is not hungry. He is not poor. He is not uninformed. The error that they were making is that God wanted exacting attention to dutiful code adherence. They had figured out, well, we know what God is like. He wants exacting attention to dutifully following every element of the law code. We know that's what he wants, and that must speak to what he needs. If we miss an offering, he must need these offerings. And God is saying, you've missed the point. You've presumed to know something way outside of your area of expertise. Look at verse 12 of Psalm 50. If I were hungry, I mean, can you believe, this is a funny verse, isn't it? God here telling, listen, if I was hungry, can I let you in on a secret? I wouldn't tell you. You have presumed knowledge in an area way outside of your purview. We know what God is like, so we'd better give him what he, we think he's like. And God says, first of all, if I were hungry, I wouldn't bother to tell you, because guess what? It's none your business. 
You have presumed to know something beyond the knowledge I have given you in your uh, effort to religiously execute dutiful adherence to a law code. We discover something interesting about what God wants, a hint at what he's getting at in verse 14. Look with me at Psalm 50, verse 14. He says this, Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of your trouble, and I'll deliver you. This, these last two verses in this section, this is as far as we're going to go really in the psalm, is he is saying, I want to give you a hint of what's going on in my heart. And it's not me getting hungry and needing a bowl to eat. It's not me being broke and needing your money. It's not me really just desiring a group of people who know how to follow rules really, really well. We get a hint here at what is going on in God's heart. And it's very, very important. It's very, very interesting. But before we finish there, let's go over to Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 15. You know this story. It's the story of the lost son. Sometimes called the prodigal son. For some of you, it's the story of your brother or sister, right? Your brother and sister probably says the same thing about you. You know the story. Uh, This man has two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son comes to his father and says, Dad, uh, I want my inheritance now. I know you're not dead yet. Uh, As Tim Keller has said in his book, this is a way the younger son had basically said, I wish you were dead because I want your money more than I want you. And the father gives his youngest son his portion of the inheritance. And the youngest son goes uh, far away and spends all of his money on Bible studies and Christian books. No, he spends all of his money uh, getting drunk and getting prostitutes. He does this until he is broke and he finds himself employed in the pig pen, envious of the pig's food. And he says to himself, you know what, I could do better as a servant in my father's house, so I'm going to return to my father's house and simply offer to be his slave. You know the story, don't you? He goes home and his father is standing out of the porch as he had been doing every single day. And we saw his youngest on the horizon. The father ran full speed to greet his son. He embraced him embarrassingly threw his coat on him, put his ring back on his fingers, and said, my son is home. They go to the house, slaughter the fattened calf, and his dad throws the party of the century. I mean, this party had, I mean, the bass was so loud, it was blowing the windows out. I don't know if they had bass back then, but they had something like it. The older brother, when all of this is going on, we pick this up in verse 25 of Luke 15. Meanwhile, the older son was where? Out in the field, dutifully doing everything the father had ever asked for him. Without mistake, without error, all these years, the older son was out in the field. He came near the house and he heard music and dancing. I mean, he still got the sticky, dirty sweat from the day in the field. You know what that's like. The sun is out. Many of us are going to be doing that this afternoon, right? Here's this music. He called one of the servants and said, what in the world's going on? He says, your brother came home. Your father has killed a fattened calf and he's 
He's happy to have him back safe and sound. The older brother was livid. He was enraged and he refused to go in. And his father went out and he pleaded with his older son, who had been uh, dutifully following his father's orders all of those years while this younger son was off spending his money. Look what he says, verse 29. Listen, it's really important. Look, all these years I have been, what? In the NIV anyway, slaving. I have never disobeyed your orders, not even once. And notice, notice the father doesn't dispute that. The father doesn't say, oh, no, you, didn't. you broke that one rule that one day, remember? Notice the father does not dispute his ability to dutifully adhere to precisely what was expected of him. You never gave me even so much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours comes home who has squandered your property with prostitutes. And you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate. Your, your son was dead. My son was dead, and now he is alive. What did the older brother want? I'll read it again. All these years I've been slaving for you, and never have I disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could what? Celebrate where? With my friends. What does the father want? He's revealed it in the son. What does the father want? He wants his son to want to celebrate with him. The, the younger son who was out whoring, he figured it out. The father just wants me. The older brother dutifully slaving away with the father in his house has no idea that what the father wants is his son. He doesn't want dutifully adhering to the code. And this younger son who comes home is in such a state that he, he gleefully receives the father's affection and the father kills the fattened calf. Why? Because his son is home and his son, lo and behold, actually wants to be with the father. The older son hates the father so much. He hates the father more than the younger son ever did because he wants the father's things and not the father himself. What if God came to church today? He obviously has an opinion, and his opinion matters, and he has a standard. He's not impressed with us. So the question is, then, what is his interest? What is he interested in? It's not that he's disinterested in our worship, but we discover here something of what God is interested in. Look with me again back at Psalm 50, this time verse 23, very end of the psalm. What if God came to church today? He has an interest. He is not disinterested. Psalm 50, verse 23, those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me. And to the blameless, I will show my salvation. Those who will sacrifice, thank offerings. We need to understand what this offering is. You can turn with me if you want, or you can just listen in Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7. Uh, if for no other reason, turn there in your Bible because you may have never done so, right? It's the crispy part of the Bible, as you might say. So the 
what is being described, Leviticus chapter 7, verse 11, and you can turn there while I begin. He says this, these are the regulations for the fellowship offering anyone may present to the Lord. There was a, a fellowship offering, and there were several kinds of fellowship offerings. And one of the fellowship offerings, again, there were several, one of them is the thank offering. And this is what it says it is. If they offer a fellowship offering, verse 12 of Leviticus 7, if they offer the fellowship offering as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, listen, here's a list. We're going to get a list. Along with this thank offering, and the offering is always an animal of some kind, they're to offer thick loaves made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in. Okay, so what do we have first? Thick loaves, no yeast, olive oil mixed in. Second, thin loaves made without yeast, brushed with oil. Anybody getting hungry? Maybe a little balsamic vinegar. Okay. Um, then we want thick loaves of the finest flour, well kneaded and with oil mixed in, along with their fellowship offering of thanksgiving, there to present an offering with thick loaves of bread made with yeast. Yes, that's the good stuff. They're to bring one of each kind as an offering, a contribution to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who splashes the blood of the fellowship offering against the altar. The meat of their fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it's offered. They must leave none of it till morning. What is this offering? You get your animal. You get your basket of bread. And probably a drink offering too. I mean, you wouldn't go without a drink offering. You show up to the priest, and you offer your offering. He slaughters your animal. You have to give the priest one of each kind of bread. The priest has to eat. Then you give the priest, you'll read it later in Leviticus 7, 28, the priest gets the breast of the animal and the right thigh. All the rest of the food, all the leftover bread, the entire animal, besides the breast and the right thigh, what do you do with that? You eat it. You sit down with your family, you sit down with your friends, you, you grill it up, and you just sit there and you worship God with just a, an off-the-hook dinner. And he says, I want you to eat it all. I mean, this is Thanksgiving, right? You get there and say, clean your plate. Yes, ma'am, I'm on it. And God is saying, I want you to eat it all. I want you to eat it and feel the, the feeling of fullness and contentment and blessing. And I want you to know that in the midst of your enjoyment of this feast of thanks, I am with you. you remember the, the father and the younger son? Doesn't this sound just like that? The father and the younger son comes home and, they, and the father says, I just want to sit and have a meal with you. I just want to sit down and enjoy your presence and see the joy on your face as you enjoy every delicious bite. How many thank offerings were you required to do in a given year? Any idea? None. The thank offerings are totally voluntary. Totally voluntary. This is the only offering I would want to do. Because it's the one where you get to eat a bunch of food, right? But that misses the spirit of what he's getting at. What God is calling, he's saying, remember back in Psalm 50, verse 23. What did he say? 
Isn't it interesting, if you and I maybe were speaking for God, would we say we'd want to thank offering? No, we'd probably get all religious. We need some more sin offerings. You guys have been naughty. We need some more guilt offerings. We need some more offerings for unintentional or, uh, or forgotten sins. What does God call for? He says, listen, your offerings are ever before me. Oh, it's tiresome, all of your offerings. I want you to voluntarily just sit down and say, I want to be with you, God. God, I want to sit in your presence. God here in verse 23 of Psalm 50, those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me. How do you honor God? By desiring to be with him. Did the older brother honor the father? No, he had no desire to be with the father, despite the fact that for years and years he never did anything wrong. Did the younger brother honor his father? Yes, he did, because he came to his senses where he said, oh, I want to be with my dad. God here hints to us. He gives us a hint of what his interest is. You know what a hint is. A young man maybe is interested in a young lady, and he'll write a note. I just wanted to say hi. I didn't get a chance to run into you today. I hope you had a good day. And he'll fold the note up. Of course, you know, he'll write that 45 times. Do I put a heart over the eye? No, 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 just a dot, just a dot. Okay. Put it into her book where she'll find it, or put it under the windshield wiper of her car while she's at work. And he's giving a hint. What's the hint? Because she's opening it up, and hopefully she has a similar interest as he does. Just wanted to say hi, okay. Didn't get to run into you today. What's the hint? I wanted to. I wanted to run into you today. I didn't. I was. You can't say that in a note. He's hinting at something, and God here is telling us in an unspoken hint. He says, offer, thank offerings to me. Well, why would, God, do you just want to hang out? Are you just interested in our worship coming from a heart of saying, we want to be with this God who desires to be near us? With all of our piety and all of our rules and all of our religious busyness, God is saying, let's sit down and eat. Let's, let's linger at the table so long that the food is completely gone. We just sit there. You know how it is. You're nibbling. And preach, where's all the food go? You sit there so long that finally somebody has the guts to say, you know what? We're doing the dishes in the morning. It's too late. Just leave them out. To sit there and talk and to laugh so hard and for so long your sides hurt. Do you, you remember what that was like? Could you imagine that God would want to enjoy that kind of a moment with you? When he hints here, he says, offer thank offerings to me. This is what he's saying. Come to me with voluntary worship that extends your heart is like mine. Let's hang out. Let's be together. And he says, listen, to these I will show the path of salvation. And all he's saying is the path of salvation is a heart's desire to be with God himself. He's saying those who have this kind of desire, the kind of desire I have to be with me, they're going to find salvation because they have a desire to be with me. What if God came to church today? Now, God is personally involved in our worship. He's personally involved in our worship here on a Sunday morning at uh, church. He's uh, personally involved in our, our times when we get together in small groups, whether you're part of a home group or a women's or men's Bible study or an accountability group or a book reading group. Uh, 
God is personally involved in our worship when we get take time to, to worship him as an individual in our quiet time or our devotional time. Since God is personally involved in our worship, I think it's valuable and important for us to understand what is his opinion? What is his standard? What's his interest? I'll give you the answer. He wants to feed us, and he wants to eat with us, and he wants to be near us through Jesus. He wants to feed us, and he wants to eat with us, and he wants to be near us in and through Jesus himself. I didn't read it earlier, or I did, but I didn't touch on it again. Psalm 50, verse 11, you want to scan up there. It says this, I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. Jesus said a similar thing over in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. This is Jesus speaking. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside the Father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows to me, he would say. You're worth more than many sparrows. Jesus is saying here, to to me and the Father, your value is far more than all of the things of, of this world. This is Jesus on the night he was betrayed in Luke 22. In the upper room, we read it from 1 Corinthians earlier, but this is the account of it in Luke 22. I'm in verse 14 if you want to jot it down or follow me. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, this is crazy. Now, we've read this verse a billion times, so it's not crazy to us because we've heard it so much. But we've got to think about this. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I mean, God is telling them what he wants to do. He's saying, I, man, I've been looking forward to tonight. I knew this would, be, this would be a good meal. I knew we would get to sit undistracted, enjoy some good food. I could share with you what's going on in my mission. I could connect with you personally. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I go and suffer. He's saying, I have had a desire to be together with you before I go and make atonement. Isn't it crazy that he had a desire to be with his disciples before he made them perfect? Shouldn't he only desire to be with them if they were flawless? I mean, shouldn't he? I mean, they're all messed up. Peter hasn't even betrayed him yet, and, he, and Jesus knows it's coming. And yet Jesus is sitting here saying, oh, I've, I've looked forward to this. I've looked forward to having this meal with you before I suffer. The Apostle John says it this way in John 6, 53. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, and this is kind of gross, but you're going to have to hear it. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, 
and I in them, just as the living Father excuse me, sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus here is describing to us that he is, in fact, our thanksgiving offering. That Jesus says, I want you to gather around the meal that is me. Now we know he is using a figure of speech. We're not physically eating his body. He's saying, I am the one who will sustain you. I am the one who will fill you. I want to enjoy your presence. And, and this thank offering, this thank offering, which is Jesus, is the offering that never dies. He is the offering that lives up forever. This is the thanksgiving offering that never ends. Because we never stop being sustained by him, and he never stops desiring to be personally involved and connected with us. One last reference I think is important. And you know what I mean by one last reference. There are several more. This is Revelation 19.6. The Apostle John again records what he is seeing. I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder. God is in the house. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Verse 9, the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Do you think Jesus has a desire to hang out with us? And enjoy our time together. Yes, in fact, he is using that language to describe our time with him for all of eternity. He's saying, you are going to with me, be with me like a bride is with her groom and we are going to feast. God's interest is to be with us because he loves us and he wants our interest to be the same. I've said it this way, if you're not interested in God, you're not interested in heaven because that's all it is he's everywhere he is a thank offering he is a thank offering that lives and we will dine with him forever jesus is the one that asks us to come out of a life of dutiful adherence to a code and say feast on me and enjoy my presence do you desire to be with me he might say the psalmist in Psalm 50 is arguing against religion that is absent any love of God. Any deep affection and heartfelt need say, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to see you and run to you. Okay, just two more references. Amos 5. I love the book of Amos. You should read it. Um, it shouldn't take too long, maybe 25 minutes, 30 minutes. A great book to read. You'll be terribly offended. All kinds of offensive material in it. This in particular describes religion without God. Two kinds of religion without God. For one thing, he's going to describe what it means to be looking forward to the Lord's return in the absence of any love of God himself. These are people who were fixated on the end of times anticipating the Lord's return, but had really no affection for God at all. This is what it says. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? The assumption, you don't even love God. Why do you want his day to show up? 
That day for you will be darkness, not light. Verse 19 of Amos chapter 5. This is one of the funnier verses in the Bible. Here's what the day of the Lord will be like for you. It will be like a man who fled from a lion. Got that in your head? Runs from a lion only to meet a bear. Bad day. He, he escapes from the bear. He, he meets the bear and he is able to get away from the bear and he enters his house and he rests his hand on the wall. Whew. And a snake bites him. That's in the Bible. You don't see that in greeting cards. I hope your day is like the man who fled from a lion. No. But these are, he says, listen, you, you want to seek uh, the Lord's return, but you have no deep heart felt affection for God, that day is not going to be a good day for you. Because the intention of the Lord's return is not merely to escape the difficulties of life. The intention of the Lord's return is, okay, Captain Obvious, it's the Lord's return. It's, it's kind of in the phrase, the Lord's return. But for many of us, as we... Uh, obsess over the end of the world it's not so much the lord's return we just want the end of our suffering i want my suffering to end as much as you want yours to end that's not the point of the lord's return the point of the lord's return is we should be looking forward to the lord and he said if if that's not moving us to the end of all things then we've missed the point here's what he has to say about their church services Amos 5.21, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and you bring me grain offerings, I'm not going to accept them. Though you bring me fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Why? Because they don't love him. He says, if you don't love me, I have no, I have no interest in what you're being involved in. I would suggest this, worshiping God without a love of God is not merely useless, it is hazardous. Let me rephrase that. Worshiping God without a love of God is not merely useless, it is hazardous. What if God came to church today? He has an opinion, a strong one, I might suggest. He has a standard, and he's, he's not impressed. He has an interest that his people would love him and desire him, that we would desire to be in his presence, to enjoy him and his presence. One final question by way of uh, conclusion. We know what God is looking for. If you didn't hear it, he's looking for us. His opinion is he wants to meet with us. His, his standard is he wants us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, all of our strength. His interest is us. Why did you come? I think that's a fair question. 
I think it's a question we have to ask. Why did we come? Why does the older brother come? He knows the rules. He knows what's expected. And he did it. He has a good attendance record, a good giving record. He's got it dialed in. He does not love the father. Why does the lost son come? Because he's been out whoring. And he cannot believe that God would meet him here. Can you believe that God would meet us here? Couldn't you believe that despite the week we had, and please don't give me the details, please. Despite what this week was for you and what this week was for me, he was here before we got here, and he said, I can't, this is going to be great. They're going to meet with me, and I can show them unconditional love through the, through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ. I think it should fill our hearts with an unfathomable joy to know that Jesus says, I, I just want to be with you. Now, listen, I know, especially for maybe the men in the room, like, listen, religion as a system is easier. It's also less touchy-feely. Okay, I know we're all dialed in and, and made different ways, but at some level, at some place in our life, we have to move from mere religion to a belief that God did not make Jesus come to the earth and die for us so that we could be merely good Christians. Although, that's not a bad thing. He wants something a little bit more than that. He's looking to be our Father and for us to engage in Him in a relationship that says, God, when I meet with you at church, when I meet with you in my home group, when I meet with you in my devotions, the win there is not new information. The win there is not a powerful emotional experience. The win there is I get to be with you. Why did we come? 